You are listening to Reach MDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. And the truth is, medicine's a service industry, not a business. But how many of us doctors consider our patients' expectations with regard to service excellence? And what happens when we strive to exceed those expectations? Our guest today, Dr. Victor Marks, is going to help us understand how a focus on service can help create more successful and happier practices. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Victor Marks, a Mohs surgeon at the Geisinger Medical Center in Danville, Pennsylvania. Victor has another hat he wears, and that is as an advocate of service excellence in medicine. Welcome, Victor. Thanks, Michael. All right. We're talking about service excellence. It's a big subject. And in order to develop service excellence, we have to get some kind of feedback. We've got to know what we're doing. So measuring the service excellence and feedback data, how do you do it? Well, first of all, I think it's important to understand how important it is. We can't have an accurate understanding of how we're perceived by our patients without asking them. We think we know, but the problem is we all have blind spots. We really don't know how it is we're perceived. We think our patients like us. In fact, probably the patients who come back do like us. The question is, what about the patients who don't come back? And so systematic measurement of service allows us to identify our service strengths and areas where our patients perceive that we can improve. And ideally, the measurement tool, Michael, should be one that's benchmarked, I think, against a national database of similar practices so that we can compare how it is we're doing. And the reason I think that's important is that sometimes we might be deluded into thinking, let's say we do a measurement of our, of our service, and we find out that 90% of patients rate us as good. We think, well, that's good enough, right? Well, suppose we actually benchmark that against a database where similar questions were asked to similar practices. And we found that although 90% of patients rate us as good, that puts us into the 10th or 20th percentile. That wouldn't make us feel so good, right? So it's really important not only that we measure, but that we measure against another database to provide benchmarks. How do you do it in your practice? Well, we do it with a, a large national survey firm uh, that we contract with. The organization has decided that this is important enough that we actually spend the money to do it with a national firm. There are some online tools that are proprietary that uh, are much less expensive and also are beginning to develop uh, databases in which you can compare yourself with other practices. Yeah, we, I've done a show with Steve Feldman. Right, um, that's the practice that's with the doctor score. Right. I was thinking about that. And, uh, you know, I think Steve has a great idea there. Okay, but it's important to get this feedback. You know, it really is because... That's the only way you can truly identify where your strengths and weaknesses are. You just can't ask patients, in my opinion, because when you ask patients, when they're in my, sitting across from me, they tell me everything's really nice. They don't tell me about the episode they had with the girl at the front desk or how, how angry they were about waiting. All of a sudden, there's sweetness and light because they need me for their medical care. All surveys have biases. The one that you just described is called acquiescence bias. The patient sitting in front of you acquiescent to uh, your position, if you will. They'll tell you what they think you want to hear. When they're at home filling it out, though, they're going to put down, in, for the most part, what it is they really believe. And you can find some amazing things out about your practice that you didn't realize. Like, for example, I had one questionnaire, you know, it was about feeling that they were rushed. And when I got my surveys back, some of my patients felt that they were being rushed. And one of them actually put on their survey, they wrote down there, that he has his hand on the doorknob. 
And I went, wow, I do that. I lean against the doorknob. But what the patient perceived was is I wanted to get out the door. Well, in truth, I probably did, you know, but I was giving them. Right, you were giving them the message, right. I was giving them the message that I I didn't want to give that message. So now whenever I lean against the doorknob, I pull my hand back, you know. It's those sorts of things. that Those are the blind spots that we all have. So the survey can actually teach you you where you need to change. It's exactly what it does. It helps you focus. You know, we talked about service improvement being an ongoing process where the team gets together and figures out where they can best uh, focus their efforts and process on personal improvement. The survey is what shows you where it is you need to focus. Can I get you off track for a second here? Because sure. I think there's something very important that needs to be said we're not saying. This is not just about your bottom line, which we all would like a very you know happy bottom line in our offices. This is also about your personal happiness in the office. Oh, my. Absolutely. And we haven't been saying that, so I think we need to. You know, if you enjoy your work, you will be more happy, right? And if patients are giving you that positive feedback, you're going to enjoy your work. If your coworkers are happy, you're going to enjoy your work more. This is so much about personal fulfillment as well as it is uh, exceptional care of patients. Exactly. I mean, a huge salary doesn't really make you happy. You can buy things. If you're giving patients excellence in service and they're happier, they're the patients who come back and give you that kind of happiness and chocolate and cookies and things like that, too. Yeah, they're, they're pretty nice, aren't they? Yeah. All right. So we, I'm glad we said that because it's very, very key to this. All right. We have, we have more to say, though. One of the things that you talk about all the time is we need to point out success rather than punish shortfalls. Yeah, that's, that's the tenth principle I use. And I, you know, I say we should celebrate success rather than punish shortfalls. And and, and how I came about this was I was thinking about, when I wrote that principle, I was thinking about raising our two kids. And, you know, like all parents, we do some things right and we do some things wrong. And how more effective it was when we found one of our children doing something right and we praised them for it, how much more effective that was than finding our child doing something wrong and criticizing them. When we did the former, we raised their self-esteem and we positively reinforced the behavior that we wanted and we built a stronger bond between us and the child. And when we did the latter, when we criticized them, you know, we fractured that fragile relationship between the child and us a little bit and lowered their self-esteem, and we were negatively reinforcing behavior. Positive reinforcement is so much better. And so, for example, in the office, you know, you can find a nurse, for example, who does a great job of introducing herself to the patient and touching the patient and looking the patient in the eye, and you can say, Jan, I love the way you did that. You know, when you touched that patient and you shook their hands and you used that voice and you smiled, it was so engaging to the patient. And, and the other nurses that hear that are going to do it, too. Criticism, on the other hand, is hurtful. It lowers people's self-esteem. And if it's done in public, it really adversely affects morale. Don't ever criticize someone in public. Try not to criticize, period, but don't ever do it in public. Even, you know, the word constructive criticism, I don't know what that means. But constructive criticism to me is almost never perceived as constructive. We may think we're giving constructive criticism. The person who's receiving it thinks they're being whacked in the head. It's still okay to say, not as criticism, but this is the way I would like you to do this. That's not being critical. That's just saying, I want you to answer the phone this way or speak to a patient this way. Yeah, or this is the way we agreed about it. Right. This is the way we agreed to it. Or, you know, rather than when somebody doesn't do it quite right, you know, sort of maybe let that pass. And the next time they do it right, say, Oh, Mary, the way you answered that phone that time when you did it this way was wonderful. She's going to then do it that way. And you've positively reinforced it, and you haven't hurt her when you you corrected her. 
You see what I'm saying? Sometimes it takes, the point that I'm making, Michael, is sometimes you have to, actually have to be a little patient and wait for someone to do something right or something the way you want it or something the way that's perceived well by patients and then praise them for it rather than trying to knock them over the head with the things they're doing wrong and correcting them, if you will. Right. And I think you have to realize this is a marathon, not a sprint. Absolutely. You're not going to do this in a week or a month. It's, it's kind of like weight loss. You have to realize this is a new culture you're bringing in and, and consider it to be a lifelong thing. Absolutely. You know, and it does take months and years. But once you get it going, it becomes, quote, the way we do things around here, unquote, which is what culture is all about. All right. Let's talk about some of the implementation here. I want to start off with the one that you probably don't want to talk about because I think it's kind of the funniest. We talk about amenities, an espresso machine in the waiting room. Talk, talk to me about amenities and what we need to do here. Yeah. You know, I think there are a whole number of things you can do. We talked mostly about communication skills, but there are amenities that you can offer for patients. There's a certain environment that you want to create. All of these lead to the a better perception than it is that you currently have. So with amenities, for example, with most surgery, you know, patients are here. It's outpatient surgery. They're awake. They're in and out of the procedure room. We offer them coffee and cookies or samples in the waiting room, you know, in a basket. Patients love that. Or a cappuccino machine, as you say. I haven't done that one. But, you know, they're also, and you know what? Your staff can help you with this. What are some special things that we can offer for patients? This segues into the whole environment of your office, which is what I want to talk about. Your, Your office needs to be once again, a caring, friendly environment that people like coming to. Not only that, but it has to look, smell, and feel right. People make judgments about what it is they perceive, and they perceive through senses, what they see, hear, feel, touch, and smell. And so what we will do sometimes is we'll have what's called a five senses tour. We'll assign a person in the office to go through the office and just look at everything from a patient's viewpoint. Another person will be the ears of the patient. What is it that you hear? And then we get together and we talk about the things that a patient might hear, smell, feel, touch, uh, etc. And then we improve on each of those areas so that the senses that the patient experiences when they come in are optimized. Really sounds to me in all of this discussion is that you are looking toward the patient as a human being. And that gets back to the term holism. So aren't we really practicing holistic medicine by doing all this? Yeah, I, I suppose we really are. You know, they, they're not just a disease. They are not a disease. They are a person with a problem. Any other things about implementation we need to talk about? Communication skills are learned behaviors. They are learned skills. Some are better than others. And we all know that. There are some people who are wonderful communicators and others who are just so-so and others who are, quite frankly, poor. All of us can improve our communication skills, and there are a myriad of tools to do that. Uh, I would just, you know, Michael, let me, let me do one other thing here, if you don't mind. I want to get this in. I pulled two outpatient comment reports. Just for, and We receive these on a, on a weekly basis. These are comments that were given by patients about my coworkers and me. Okay, and I'm going to read two of them. This is one. The staff was exceptional, helpful, friendly, and courteous. I feel I received extraordinarily good service and care. Doctor, and I'll leave that blank, was by far the kindest and most competent physician I have ever encountered. She is a shining star. The other outpatient comment report from a patient said this. Everything went very well, very good, no bad experiences, friendly. Which one of those patients is loyal? And which one of those patients is satisfied? I love being a shining star. Yeah. I mean, the first one is loyal. So if, if that doctor 
has a shortfall, you know, has a prolonged waiting time the next time the patient comes in, or things don't go exactly right, that patient's still going to come back. And not only that, but that patient had such an extraordinary experience, she's going to tell friends and family. The second patient, if another physician comes in who's more convenient, the person's going to probably jump ship. And also, because the experience was no bad experience, it was friendly, they're not going to go out and tell people about that. That's the difference between loyal and satisfied patients. Well, we are very satisfied with this discussion, and I want to thank Dr. Victor Marks, who's been with us today, sharing insights into the concept of service excellence, something we doctors don't often consider, but something that is the keystone, the heart, and the soul of our profession. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMDXM is here for you, the physicians who care for your patients. Tell us what you want and what you need. Send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and thank you for listening.